Welcome back, gals, ghouls, and badass days of the world. I am your host, Ryan C. Bradley. Longtime listeners will know that normally my amazing co-host, Cass Clark, does this intro, but they're celebrating their one-year wedding anniversary this morning, so you're stuck with me. Today, I'll be chatting with Danger Slater. Welcome, Danger. Oh, man, you said welcome as I was taking my first sip of coffee. (laughs) No, no, it's all good. Uh, (laughs) Yes, yes, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, so Danger claims to be the world's most flammable writer and was the winner of the 2016 Wonderland Award for Bizarro Fiction for I Will Rot Without You. He's also the author of Moon Fellows, Impossible James, Little Miss Apocalypse, and many others. He's one of the funniest writers doing it and an all-around good dude. Today, we're going to be talking about his next release, House of Rot from Tenebris Press, which they describe as a psychedelic splatter tale in which a pair of newlyweds moved into a haunted apartment and quickly find themselves unable to leave. It's a single-setting escape room novella featuring spores, molds, and fungi by the bucket load, a haunted underground river and the world's worst neighbor. The comps were Brian Asman's Man, Fuck This House, and Archive 81, which, as all of my listeners probably tell, sounds amazing. Before we get into the book, you claim to be the world's most flammable writer. How did you come to this conclusion? Did you write light someone else on fire have you been lit on fire well i think a lot of it has to do with the clothes i'm wearing because Mm. i always have it's not that i'm soaking my clothes in gasoline it's that it's just kind of like if i go by a gas station whatever fabric it is i guess it's because i'm buying cheap clothing it just kind of like absorbs into it so if, if anyone's smoking a cigarette near me uh, or joint or anything that involves flame lighting a candle i'm in danger of just spontaneously combusting it's a scary world. It's a scary world. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, House of Rot opens with a quote from Don Quixote. And coincidentally, yeah. that book in their apartment is the only thing that's not overgrown with mold. And I'm curious, uh, why did you pick that particular book for a motif in House of Rot? Yeah, you know, Don Quixote is about this guy who's kind of in his own world and going on a fool's errand adventure. And uh, a lot. not that this book has a kind of sprawling adventure in it, but I just kind of always related to that character and that kind of narrative where people are kind of doing something that only makes sense to them in a lot of ways and making the world kind of bend to their version of it uh, rather than the other way around. So for Elena and Miles, is it like the American dream is the fool's errand? Uh, Essentially, yeah. Like doing anything beyond where they... (laughs) Where they start this book is is kind of the fool's errand. The book House of Rot opens with Elena and Miles moving to their first apartment. The next morning, it's completely covered with mold, so thick that they can't even open the doors, jiggle the windows. Did you have mold in one of your apartments ever? Have you struggled with mold? Yeah, that's where the uh, whole idea for this came from. <laughs> I was Me and my girlfriend just moved into a new apartment that I thought was going to be like a really nice one. Uh, I've lived in a lot of apartments, a lot of shitty apartments specifically. Um, but this one that we moved into, uh, right before I started writing the book had a nice picture window where you could see this grassy area where there was like a barbecue and a pool and it was like green. And I was, I set my writing desk up right by and I was like, all right, this is the place where, where my, I'm I'm finally home after living in an apartment year after year and moving every single time and 
I'm finally home. I found somewhere that feels really comfortable to me. And then uh, within two months, this mold, we had a a, a, a leak from a, I guess oh, there no. was some sort of like rain getting into the walls and it started flooding the bedroom, which then sprouted into mold all over our headboard and our dressers. No. And then uh, I cleaned that up and thought I took care of it, but then it ended up sprouting up on all of the walls and in our cabinets on everything. All of a sudden, almost everything we had was covered in mold, and I had to either attempt to clean it off or throw all this shit out. And I was, it took me like two straight days of cleaning to take care of it all. And I was like stressed out the whole time. Did your so, landlord intervene at any point? Or... My landlord is a giant corporation that oh, is yeah. doesn't exist. So <laughs> there, there's a property manager and they replace that person every six months. So nobody ever has any idea what's going on. So uh, you kind of just take care of your own problems. I, I use a lot of duct tape for whatever's wrong in our building. <laughs> you seem to take care of it. Oh, no. So, but yeah, that was that was something that was kind of happening to me. I, obviously, we didn't get sealed inside permanently, <laughs> but but we did. Uh, we did. It was very stressful for a minute, and um, I had been kicking around an idea about a couple that had was stuck in their building. It was a different idea. It was more supernatural means, like uh, they were just kind of like stuck in this bubble where they can't escape with the rest of their neighbors. So it's like a whole the whole building's kind of in this. It didn't come to fruition, but I kind of took that idea and combined it with what was going on with me into this and closed the setting a little more, made it just one apartment and three characters in the whole book. So so what did you find to be the most challenging aspect of having it all in that one apartment, having it in that single location other than the, I guess, spoilers, but we won't talk about that. But yeah, one, <laughs> one location. So much of my world is centered around my own living space. I guess that's true for anybody. Yeah. So it feels very intimate and familiar, and I don't know, it didn't seem like it would be boring to kind of just use one location. In fact, I, this story wouldn't work if they were able to get outside. It would be something else. <laughs> so for some couples, moving in together can be the start of the end of the relationship, but kind of rotting away at what was, or maybe uncovering what was always there but hidden. Does that idea play into a part into why this couple starts to fight and disagree the longer they're in their new apartment? Not in particular. I think they get along pretty well throughout the whole book. There's a lot of books that I've written where I explore kind of relationship drama or, or you know, the uh, word I'm looking for, tension, relationship yeah. tension. Uh, he Digs a Hole is one that's about that. And then the other book with Rot in the title that I wrote, I Will Rot Without You, is about a guy who broke up with his girlfriend or they broke up and he's kind of just falling apart without her, like physically and mentally. So there's a lot more of that there. This is, I was trying to kind of lean more into like an us against the world yeah. kind of mentality, like especially since I'm personally in a functional relationship. Again, for one of the first times in my life where I'm just, <laughs> I'm in a relationship where I'm like, I don't want it to end or it doesn't seem like it's on the verge of collapse at any minute. So um, I'm looking at my life and I'm going, oh, we, we're together and we have this, we have this thing, this bond that's working. Like this is the rest of the pieces are supposed to be falling into place. And then I'm realizing how little money I have and how 
difficult it is for any other piece to fall in place after <laughs> that piece. So there's a little tension between them, but it was not the focus of the book. It's not about it's not about their relationship or their relationship problems, uh, more specifically. Do you have themes in mind as you start your writing process? Is it the kind of thing you're thinking about? Or a deep, That's a deep question. <laughs> I do a lot of outlining. I do a lot of plotting and I'll, I'll work for weeks, two or two or two weeks, two to three weeks of just figuring out every detail of the story as much as I can before I start doing a paragraph or any of that stuff. So the first part of writing is just thinking about it and taking notes. And one of the main columns that I work on is the theme. So it's a lot, there's a plot, there's character arcs, and then themes of the book. Hopefully they're all kind of converging into yeah. <laughs> one thing. <laughs> they're all, they're all feeding into each other. But as with all my writing, including this book, House of Ride, it's all very allegorical and things are, are about, they're about what they're about literally, but they're also about bigger ideas. So it's kind of very much woven in there. I knew what I wanted to write about thematically before I started putting any of the words on paper with this one. Yeah. One of the things I noticed repeated is uh, American takes on Mexican cuisine, uh, commercials for American takes on Mexican cuisine set to classical music. Did you make <laughs> those up? Was that an intentional yeah. choice before you started writing? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I didn't, I, I made those commercials up in the classical music well the there's a neighbor character in the book who's constantly listening to yeah. classical music brad. and it's so loud yeah brad and is blasting through the walls and they can't so it's providing this weird soundtrack to this decay that they're going through and <laughs> the the husband miles keeps bringing up these ridiculous fast food commercials that use classical music <laughs> i essentially what i was trying to do with those with those moments uh was kind of show how something which you consider high brow class and classy classical music art like this is for intellectuals and how uh the shittiest stupidest stupidest companies will just kind of completely commodify that and use it to sell their garbage the, you know the commercials he's talking about are doritos and taco bell i think yeah. so yeah so, so it's like, you know, it's not Mexican food. It's the worst Mexican food. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> American bad takes. Yeah. It worked really well, though. I was like thinking about YouTubing the commercials, but I thought it'd be better to talk to you first. And I thought they were real. I'm worried if we keep talking about themes, our listeners are going to think this is a nerd book. But really, <laughs> it's a ton of fun. It's hysterically funny. <laughs> the majority of notes I took are like dying, can't stop laughing. And I'm curious, how do you approach humor and writing? Is it something you're setting out to accomplish or just something that kind of happens? This is crazy when I tell people this, but I don't think of my books as comedies. I don't try to approach them as comedies. There is jokes throughout all, most of these books. Characters are saying silly things or goofing off with each other or the situations are so absurd that they're comical. I'm very focused on the emotional arcs and the emotional core of what's going on with these characters. And like, it's it's a lot of that kind of like, we're laughing at the Reaper kind of humor yeah. or, or like, uh, you know, we're fucked anyway. So like, what can we do but laugh at the, at the face of the absurdity of the universe? So these kind of things just sort of come out. I'm not going, how do I make this scene seem funnier? It's just the way it, it plays out when I write. 
So I love a good body horror. And there's a scene with teeth in the story that's just like deliciously gross. Do you have a body horror scene you're most proud of? What do you think that kind of thing adds to the story? Oh, it's a two-parter question. <laughs> a scene in this book I'm most proud of or just in anything that I've written? Um, let's say anything you've written. There, <laughs> uh, There's this book I wrote called Impossible James that is about a man who he gets a terminal diagnosis from his doctor. And in order to cheat the Reaper, he starts cloning himself. He wants to make a new version of himself that that he that can carry on his legacy. Um, uh, he can't have children of his own. The the old fashioned method. That's why he's cloning himself. Through the process of this, he keeps working on these clones, and he's making more and more of them. And they're getting smaller and smaller. And the gestation period's getting shorter and shorter. And he's kind of putting them in his own body to grow them because they have to like grow. And he doesn't have, you know, there's no yeah. woman who's going to allow him to put tons of clones in her body. So he's doing it to himself. And uh, he starts kind of expanding as he does this. So there's more and more people filling him up and they're all versions of himself. And so he's just ballooning up into this and like kind of combining into his own house. And there's little versions of him running around like mice. <laughs> it's completely insane. But I really get into the... Uh, I'm going to say, quote unquote, science of how this all works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the not the real science, but the kind of cartoon logic of how someone might pull this off. And there's a good like 20 or 30 pages of that book, maybe maybe not in a row, but just kind of throughout the book, just dedicated to the mechanics of how <laughs> someone might grow and stuff themselves with clones. And it's so gross and weird that like I've never read or seen anything like it. So it's very much like that's what I was going for. I want to write something that just hits people in this visceral way that they never thought of themselves or human beings in this kind of configuration before. That's awesome. I got to read Impossible James. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very cool. So what do you think the body horror kind of adds to a story? Yeah, I mean, it makes it personal. Like it, it makes everyone has a body that they don't quite understand and is things go wrong with it all the time that are completely out of your control. You get sick, you get hurt. Um, you get a skin tag or something. You're like, what the hell is this? Where did this thing come from? Just and and you're aging, even if nothing's going wrong. You're watching your your body change all the time. Uh, it, you know, when you're younger, it's a little exciting. You're like, I'm becoming an adult. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, I'm horny. This is cool. You know, hairs. yeah. <laughs> but as you get older, um, you know, you hit. I'm, I'm approaching or maybe even in middle age. Things are getting worse. Now. <laughs> They're not getting much better. <laughs> Like the hair is getting thinner and grayer and things are getting sore. And I'm just like, okay, I'm on a toboggan ride and I can only, and, and this, and this body is my fucking sled and that's, <laughs> it's going to go as long as it goes. And so once you start in horror specifically, when you start fucking with someone's sled or make people think about how their own sleds could get fucked with their own bodies. I, that's what I find scary. So it's always what I lean into is body horror aspects. Plus, I love describing gross things, uh, if you could tell by reading this. <laughs> awesome. You also recently made your acting debut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. It's true. Tell us a little more about that. 
I'm sure that some of your listeners are aware of who John Skip is, or if if not, um, I'll, I'll just like give it a little brief primer. He's a horror novelist. He's been around for like 40 years. He's been writing since the 80s, but he also makes films. Uh, he's a good friend of mine, and he edited a few of my books a couple of years ago. He was a, he, he actually published them and edited them. He was kind of helping me usher my career in. So we've become very good friends over that time, and he made this film... Uh, a short film, it's like 10 or 12 minutes called Doppelbanger is about <laughs> this girl who goes to this karaoke night and uh, there's these predators at the bar who are trying to, uh, I guess, have sex with her or, you know, harm her in some way. And she kind of has some sort of split that saves her, you know, and destroys them. Um but I played a creepy bar patron, not not the one that's, you know, one of the main characters. I'm just hitting on her at one point. So I got I get to have a whole line of dialogue. <laughs> but, dude, I was taking it so seriously, right? I've never been oh, on yeah. a film set. And these, these are mostly professional actors in the room with me. And it's a professional crew. And everybody is knows what they're doing, except for fucking me, who's never... <laughs> really acted like this or, or 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 at least not professionally and who's never been on a set so i'm like in the moment like I'm, I'm having a hard time talking to anybody i'm just trying to stay very concentrated and stay in character which my character is like i just say hey the girl stops singing a karaoke song i go up to her going hey you were great can i buy you a drink like that's it you know it's like the easiest line ever but like i'm like i know i am a guy who goes to this bar every night and I, all I want to do is sleep with women that are that are impressive to me, that are above my pay grade. And I'm going to take my shot and I do it. And I know I'm going to get shot down, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I need to approach it with this amount of confidence. And I have all these thoughts running through my head all morning just so I could like have one second of screen time. <laughs> Did you make a backstory for the character beyond like the he's a barfly who's always hitting on women? Like what was her, what are his parents like? Oh man, I wish I got that deep. I, I, yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't go that far. But you know, Skip told me he's like, he's like, if I make this a feature, because the idea was to kind of turn that into a feature. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to expand your character a little bit, and I'm like, okay, yeah, now I get to really get into this, <laughs> this this bar fly guy. Yeah. When can people get a copy of House of Rock? Uh, it comes out June 14th, and it's open for pre-orders now. Yes. Yeah, you there's have- a there's a there's a crazy pre-order package that comes with the book and a t-shirt, but also a syringe of grow your own mushrooms. So it, it's like it's like 50 bucks. It's like not a cheap pre-order, but like, you know, the book's only 15 or whatever a normal book costs. But you can get all this extra stuff, uh, in- including a shirt, stickers, and there's five different mushroom varieties and I'm not 100% sure how it works because the publisher is handling that. But apparently it's a syringe with like shiitake mushrooms or or whatever, chanterelles. I don't I don't know. And you inject it into some dirt and it just you can grow your own mushrooms in your house. That sounds I'll read in the book. Yeah. And, and just to be clear, it's like not the fun kind of mushrooms. It's the put on a pizza kind of mushrooms. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, okay. they're, yes. <laughs> I feel like we should clarify that. On, uh, Honestly, on if it was legal to to sell psych- psychedelic mushrooms through the mail, we'd probably be doing that. But uh, yeah, we're, we're trying to not get arrested. 
a stanger. Where can people find you online? Twitter. Why did my voice do that? Twitter is the main place. Danger underscore Slater. But I'm on Instagram and Facebook or, you know, all the places. Or you can just use Google. If you just ain't, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much the only person calling themselves Danger Slater. So yeah. I'll come right up. And do you have any other projects you want to talk about a little bit? No, but I mean. Apocalypse just came out. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've released three books in the same within the same 365 day period because Moonfellows was July last year. Yeah. Little Miss Apocalypse came out in April, the very beginning of April and House of Rots coming out in mid-June. They're, they are all very different from each other, but I've been told that they all very much seem a piece of, of me. Like I have a very distinct voice. I don't, yeah. uh, you know, I can't, I'm not really good to judge that on myself, but <laughs> yeah, I've been working really, really hard to get these books out. And, and um, so if you like one, you sh- you'd probably like the others. So if you check out house of rot and want, and, and a listener wants to go back and check out little miss apocalypse came out a few months before. It's kind of a spoof of eighties teen comedies and stuff like that uh, with little bunch of horror elements woven into it or Moonfellows, which is kind of a spoof of sci-fi uh yeah films and, and other things Moonfellows is a ton of fun i think yeah. very similar themes to, to house of rock yeah Moonfellows felt very profound as i was reading it as well as like fun and funny one of my favorite books from last year oh i appreciate that man yeah, it's very, very much like I write about people trapped in situations a lot that they can't get out of and trying to find or figure out some sort of meaning while everything's falling apart around them. So, yeah, it's kind of a theme in both books. Very cool. Well, thanks for coming on, Danger. Yeah, um, thanks. Good man. luck with the book release and congratulations on releasing three books in 365 days. That's I know it's crazy. Rad. It's too much, I think, but it happened. <laughs> <laughs>